While he was still in one of the, the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. This is the word of the Lord. Gonna shock you. Unclean! Unclean, right? Uh, imagine you're walking along Eglinton or in your favorite park, and someone covering their mouth with their hand, dressed in torn clothes and a shaved head, and you run into them, and they're crying out, unclean, unclean. And you knew as well that they were headed to the city limits to set up a tent, to socially distance, to isolate themselves. What would you think if you ran into that today, 2024? In our times, you probably would think this is a person struggling with mental illness, perhaps homeless. In biblical times, this person was a leper. And he was doing exactly what the law of Moses commanded him to do if he was diagnosed with a skin disease. Now, to be sure, the leprosy described in the Bible is not what modern medicine classifies as Hansen's disease, although Hansen's disease would be classified as leprosy. Like, Hansen's disease could be leprosy, but leprosy, my point is, is much broader in the biblical sense. Uh, in fact, something like chickenpox or bad, a, a bad case of eczema could have passed as leprosy. Now, I don't mention those two skin conditions insensitively. My, my family has dealt with both. What's more, this leper would not only be socially outcast, but they were effectively considered religiously unclean. They couldn't worship in the way that they would want to with the community of Israel. And what they required was to be healed, cleansed, re-examined, and approved by the priests before they could re-enter normal societal and community life and faith life. Now, if you're feeling a bit uncomfortable, and there's a sort of a range of emotions as I describe this and this person, that's kind of the point. A leper was literally not a happy camper. They were uh, just ostracized to the outside of the city, outside of the community. And it's something you wouldn't wish upon your worst enemy. Yet in today's scripture, uh, Jesus encounters a man full of leprosy. While Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy, and this is Dr. Luke. And so he would know that in what he's describing is on the scale of mild leprosy to worst case, this was worst case scenario leprosy. Probably his whole body was raw. And yet Jesus beautifully and miraculously heals 
and cleanses this leper. So we got to ask, why does Luke include this encounter in his gospel? Primarily because, first, it's a sign that Jesus truly is the God-sent Messiah. Jesus himself said, just drawing on Matthew's gospel in chapter 10, and proclaim as you go, saying, this is Jesus speaking, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, and cast out demons. For Jesus, cleansing lepers was a sign of his kingdom breaking in and that he is the king. He's the Messiah. And there's something still there in the cleansing of lepers that's applicable for us today. Okay? And so we're going to do our best to draw out from today's scripture what that is. But basically, the hope and comfort to you and me is that Jesus still wants to cleanse us today. Because the cleansing that we need is beyond just skin infections and the cleansing, even leprosy, was something symbolic spiritually of something deeper that we need to be cleansed of. So to that end, I hope a prayer something like this would rise up in your hearts in response to God's word today. Lord, teach me to bathe my heart in your cleansing grace every day. Okay? And so we want to ask for the rest of our time, how does Jesus cleanse us? And... Again, every scripture, it's the, 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 the treasures are infinite as we chew on it, meditate on it. But at least three things that I think Dr. Luke wants us to see. How does Jesus cleanse us first in union with him, uh, toward wholeness and holiness, and for witness? Okay? So first, how does Jesus cleanse us? First, in union with him. What do we mean by that? Well, first, let me show you where we see it. We pick up in verse 13, chapter 5. And when he saw Jesus, the leper, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord. So notice how he addresses Jesus. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. Picture it. Jesus extends his arm. His hand outstretched touches the leper. He's connected to the leper. And in that connection, the leper is cleansed. It's a picture of connection. It's a picture of being linked to Jesus. And so it's a good thing to be connected to Jesus. Other ways, Scripture puts it to abide in Jesus. It's a good thing to be touched by Jesus, to be hitched to Jesus. One of the scariest and anxiety-riddled moments in my life was when I took my boy Christopher to the CNE when he was four years old. Uh, we were at the convention center, and there's a giant life-sized uh, transformer, Optimus Prime, and it was one of his favorite toys and robots at the time, and so he wanted to go see it and take a picture. Now, as usual, it's crowded very crowded at the CNE. We started walking toward the model, and a few steps in, I asked Christopher, are you looking forward to seeing Optimus Prime? I can see his head popping up above the crowd. And then Christopher replied and said, nothing. And so I turn, and I'm looking 360, probably like a three-foot frame at the time, and he's nowhere to be found. 
So I'm panicking and I'm scanning 360 and I'm yelling, Christopher, Christopher. Long story short, he cleverly found his way back to his mother by following the sound of the music playing at the concert stage in the convention center where we had left my wife and daughter. And you remember that there was music playing there. But the point being, I had never felt my heart sink to my stomach that terribly more than when I thought I had lost my son for good. Here's my point. When I think back to that day, I ask myself over and over again, why didn't you just hold his hand? It's this large crowd. Why don't you just hold his hand? Just stretch out your hand and keep him in physical contact with you to be linked to you, to be hitched to you. But just kept him attached in union with me. He would have never been lost. But, oh, what a joy to find him, to see him, that he's alive, he's not lost. And then I stretched out my hand, held him, brought him close, embraced him, and what a joy that he was found. Now, what Jesus did to this leper is even more. What Jesus did to this leper is infinitely more because Jesus not only cleanses him, but he actually saves his soul in this moment. Cleansing for this leper in this moment was salvation. As a Jew, this act of cleansing that we know he experienced by faith as he addressed Jesus as Lord, for this Jew in this moment, it was God's grace to affirm what was going on in his heart. And he equated to atonement and salvation and being brought back into the covenant community, the faith community of Israel. So notice something to learn from the leper for us, that he wanted to be clean, not just healed. He could have just said, Lord, would you heal me? Would you make my body and my life better? But he wanted something beyond healing. He wanted to be cleansed and to be completely brought back into the community of God. And so he rightly desired to be spiritually restored, not just healed, to be brought back into this faith community. Now, where it all started, though, was Jesus stretching out his hand and touching him, and there was faith going on in his heart as he's in union with Christ, attached to Christ, this connection with Christ. And if you had to distill what it means to believe in Jesus, to follow Jesus, so what's so important in this scene, there's a picture of what it means to believe in Jesus. If you had to distill what it means to believe in Jesus, if you had to boil it down, it's union with Jesus by faith in him as your Christ, as your Lord. And this is what makes the lepers calling out to Jesus so beautiful, so true. He acknowledges Jesus as Lord. Now notice the utter humility and desperation of the leper. When he saw Jesus, he, he fell on his face and begged him, Accepting and receiving Jesus and his offer of cleansing and salvation, it really does require a real willingness to admit our humble need to the point that we're willing to fall, maybe literally on our face, but that being representative of what's more important, falling on the face of our hearts, that attitude. Now, look, in this day and age, that's tough because we live in a time when 
even calling Jesus Lord is an affront to our culture. Our cultural climate often values personal autonomy, is skeptic towards authority figures. We're very relativistic in our approach to truth because calling Jesus Lord, it's saying, no, you are the absolute truth. With our technology and scientific advancements, there's a fierce independent spirit in our culture that rejects even the need of God. And some of us are even saying, I know on the other hand, but I'm spiritual, Albert. I I am humble in wonder of the universe and I want some connection to the universe. But as this leper is calling Jesus Lord, for those who would affirm a higher power or the universe, the gospel confronts that ambiguity. Okay, that's ambiguous. And the leper here is is a good example for us because he looks to Jesus as Lord, as the Lord, the only Lord. So some of you might be asking, well, why only Jesus? Why is he alone the Christ, the Lord? So this brings us to our second point. Remember, we're asking, how does Jesus cleanse us? First, in union with him, but toward wholeness and holiness. Now, recall, we're sort of asking, and some of you might be thinking, you know, why only Jesus? Why Jesus alone? Why is he alone the Christ? Now, here's why. Because while our culture and the world make good attempts at becoming whole, at wholeness, only Jesus can make us holy. Okay? Now, what do we mean? First, let's give credit where credit is due. Um, In my lifetime of almost half a century, can't believe I'm even saying that, I've witnessed with my own eyes just how our culture's collective conscience has become more sensitive towards things like mental health, a strong self-esteem, being kind to yourself, and so forth. Uh, And I think this is in part why our culture has embraced things like yoga, mindfulness, and we're encouraged to take our time out to focus on our breathing, to journal, to meditate, to reflect, to prioritize deep connections with one another. On a level of popular culture, we've even seen a semblance, at least on the surface, of trying to be more moral and ethical and values-driven as a society, okay? Beyond mental and inner health, we also make efforts towards physical wholeness. We scrutinize what we eat. We emphasize health and exercise. And this is what we might call trying to be more whole as a person, hence whole foods even as a business and a store. So our culture, it certainly strives towards some idea of wholeness. And this is what Jesus does to some real degree here. In verse 13, going back as we see this healing moment, and immediately the leprosy left him. The leprosy left him. The leper is no longer a leper. Imagine that. His body is made whole. And I shared earlier, even our own family, we we have some family members who deal with eczema, or recall maybe perhaps when you had chicken pox or shingles or some other sores or boils. And then imagine in one instant, your skin is made fresh as a baby's bottom. 
Jesus has made him physically whole from top to bottom. This is amazing. But Jesus has done more than just make him physically whole. He's moving this former leper even towards spiritual wholeness on the inside. Case in point, why would Jesus charge him not to tell anyone? I think there are a few reasons, but let me try to offer you one. Now, first, then, I want, to, I want you to imagine you just won a multi-million dollar lottery. Not that I'm encouraging you to play the lottery, but just imagine, okay? Now, do you know why a disproportionate number of lottery winner stories don't end well? Why all their newfound wealth is often sadly and just foolishly squandered? Because when that great of a life wish is granted, all the trappings and temptations of life quickly come with it. All the pre-existing character flaws in the person are all the more exposed in the face of that kind of larger-than-life victory and genie-in-a-bottle wish granted. Now, the leper, I want you to try to think with me, he's won the equivalent of an unimaginable medical lottery, so to speak. And you would think that the leper and Jesus might want to leverage fame from this miracle, a new book contract with a publisher, a speaking tour, media interviews, and so forth. But to the stark contrary, Jesus, and we know this was his pattern, he charges the people he heals, tell no one. Now, I would not be surprised if Jesus charged him to tell no one actually for the leper's sake, the former leper's sake. Meaning, Jesus is really trying to guide this healed leper to reflect quietly, to ponder, what just happened, and who is this person that actually just healed me? To ponder the gift giver, as we say, and not to simply and sadly get lost in the trappings of this sensational, miraculous healing that the former leper's soul would glean the true significance behind his healing, that it would solidify a true and substantial faith, a lasting faith, not just one that hits a high, a religious experience high, a sensational self-interested experience, and then to fall off from faith. You see, I hope you'll see with me that Jesus is, is moving this leper's body and soul towards wholeness, okay? But even there, that's not the end. There's more because wholeness by itself is not enough. Even Jesus making you spiritually and physically whole is not enough because ultimately, there's no wholeness without holiness, okay? The world tries to provide wholeness and achieves it to a significant degree, but there's ultimately no wholeness without holiness. Now, where does the text say this? Let's see how Jesus finishes off his instructions. But go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. Jesus instructs the former leper to make his newfound cleanness official according to Moses' law. 
Meaning, Jesus wants to move him beyond just wholeness now to holiness, to be right under God's law, to be set apart in that way. And this would lead to the former leper's full, complete restoration in God's covenant community. This would then beautifully make the leper feel not only socially and emotionally and physically whole again, but to be holy, H-O-L-Y, and to be set apart in God's community as his chosen. And so it can't be lost in us that Jesus honors God's law here. Even in this way, Jesus fulfills God's law by asking the former leper to observe the full purification ritual. And in this way, Jesus not only made the leper whole, but makes him holy again, because the leper was right with God according to God's law. So what we need to understand and appreciate is that God provides all the cleanness laws, the cleanness laws to, to remind us that we're not clean, that many of us in our lives were unholy, unclean, that we're living under sin still. That's the whole point. And then as we come under God's law through Christ and him fulfilling it, that we're made holy. Okay? Even the very notion of skin infections and diseases, why does God pick on that? No pun intended, but why, why, does, he, why does he focus in on that? Because even skin diseases and infections, it's a fruit of sin operating in our lives, in our bodies, in our world, that we live still in a fallen world. It's supposed to remind us that we, we're... we're we're living in, in a situation, a condition that's a result of sin and the fall. And here's the point. Jesus doesn't just want to make us whole. Jesus doesn't just want to make us more centered, more mindful, as the world would try and make us whole. He doesn't want to just give us a better, you know, better breathing techniques and better diets and better habits. No, he wants to make us holy. And so make no mistake, being unclean in God's eyes meant you were under the consequences and effects of sin. Even as Peter confessed in last week's passage, I'm a sinful man, that I'm sinful. Psalm 51, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, sin, and cleanse me from my sin. Okay? Purge me and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Being unclean meant you were in sin. Proverbs 20. Who can say I have made my heart clean, that I'm pure from my sin? Sin and cleanness is associated. If you're unclean, you're in sin. If you're clean, then you're made holy. Sin is forgiven. Isaiah 64. We are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. Ezekiel 36, then I will sprinkle clean water on you. This is the Lord speaking, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from what? All your filthiness and from your idols. See, the, the, all of the cleanness laws is meant to help us reflect and point to it, the more important, the, 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 the more consequential uncleanliness, which is in our hearts. 
where our hearts have idols and are straying from God. 1 Corinthians 6, you were washed, you were sanctified, meaning made holy, you were justified, meaning made right in God's eyes in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Titus 3, he saved us through the washing of rebirth. The clean imagery here is the washing and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 10, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. There it is, the, the uncleanness is in our hearts, it's underneath. But even here, a picture of our bodies being made more and more whole with pure water. All of these scriptures say the same thing from Old Testament to New. Being clean means we're under sin. We're, 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 we're sinful. But God, he cleanses us. That's the, the hopeful, happy invitation of Jesus. Come to me. Be in union with me. And as you're hitched to me, as you place faith in me, God makes you holy. And holiness being set apart on the right side of God. So Jesus doesn't just make us whole, even though that's a part of cleanness, but he moves us towards wholeness and holiness. And so again, ultimately, there's no wholeness without holiness. The world's attempts at wholeness, they're not good enough because as much as they help us move us towards some semblance of wholeness, the world's wholeness cannot make you and me holy. On the other hand, God's law unequivocally reminds us that we aren't holy and that we are often unclean under sin. And again, to be very clear, really precise, this is so important. You yourself, just by obedience to God's law, can't make yourself holy. Okay? The point isn't that this person became holy, the, leper, the former leper became holy because he obeyed, but ultimately because Jesus would fulfill the law and in union with Jesus, that he's made holy. Well, this brings us to our last point, where we realize utterly, direly, that we need God's grace to be cleansed, to be made holy. Remember, we're asking, how does Jesus cleanse us? And finally, for witness, okay? Now, I know some of you might be thinking, huh? That how question and answering pairing, that, that doesn't make sense. Shouldn't the question be, why does Jesus cleanse us? And then it would make sense. He cleanses us because he wants us to witness, for witness. That would make sense. But while that's true, I, I'm not making a mistake here. There's a point in asking, how does Jesus cleanse us? And, and a part of how he cleanses us is for witness. And what, what do I mean by that? Because when we answer for witness, what I'm trying to get at is we're saying that a necessary part of how Jesus brings about cleansing, a proof of it is the fruit of witnessing for him. Okay? If you want some confidence and, and comfort that you're really walking in the Spirit and following Christ, you're living out your faith, the point is that there needs to be a part of our God's work in our lives where witnessing overflows. Now, of course, 
there's many different types of witness, different tones, different volumes. Some of us are more gentle and quiet. Some of us, it's just easy to be loud and even preach on the street. There's different styles, methods, ways of sharing about Jesus and what he's done in our lives. There's bold witness, written witness, spoken witness, and so forth. But the point is, every follower of Christ is called to share, to overflow this witness. Okay? And if we're not sharing, if it's been a long time since we've deliberately shared about Jesus to someone, if we're scared to share, if we care too much about what people will think of us, if we struggle too much with potentially, as we're just true to the message, not that we try to do something extra to offend the person, but just even just sharing the message of Jesus plainly, it will at some point offend the sensibilities of you know, people who don't believe. But if we're afraid of offending people that way, we have to carefully examine why? Why, why, why am I not sharing? and asking God to help us overcome that hindrance. Now, perhaps one reason why we struggle in our witness, it might be because we actually lack faith in the power of Jesus' cleanness. The power of Jesus to clean, and not only Jesus and his power to clean, but his actual cleanness, where our cleanness comes from. There's a really important truth in today's scripture, and it's really about the power of Jesus' cleansing, his cleansing power. And and it's basically this. The power of Jesus' cleansing is such that the holy makes the unholy holy. Okay? Like Jesus is so holy, so clean, so righteous, that he can overpower what is not holy, what is unclean. Um, one of my pet peeves uh, is when the kids leave fingerprints and cheek prints and draw with their oily fingers on the car windows. <laughs> uh, and you spe- especially see those prints when the car fogs up. And one time on the front windshield, can't make this up, there suddenly appeared an entire math problem equation <laughs> and solution. <laughs> and one of my kids apparently was using the windshield last minute to study for a test they had that day. It's like, who did? this like part of me was happy I'm glad you're studying but the other part's so annoyed and I especially get annoyed when I've made effort to clean the windows and windshields and so clean so pristine it's peaceful for me undistracted driving (laughs) but then oh how easily it just gets smudged again right it's so easily dirtied it's harder to keep my windows clean than it is to keep them dirty (laughs) And the window's cleanness is easily overpowered by even a single finger, a pinky. Now, my point is, Jesus is the exact opposite. He's the exact opposite. Imagine a window that when my kids attempted to draw on them or do their math homework on them with their oily fingers, that they miraculously actually become cleaned and showered in just some miraculous fashion. They become clean. I'm trying to help us appreciate the overwhelming power of Jesus' cleanness. Now, there's a beautiful irony here. Even though his holiness and his cleanness overpowers all other 
sinfulness and uncleanness and unholiness, what does Jesus do? He actually deliberately chooses to take on our uncleanness. That's why another place Paul says, he became sin who knew no sin. Even though Jesus possesses a holiness that his holiness produces what the law requires in us, and something the law by itself and just our obedience to it could never permanently produce, Jesus has that power, but to make this all work, he's willing to become unclean for us. And that's why he stretches out his hand to the leper to touch him, to say, I want you to be cleansed and healed, so be in union with me. And then he stretches out his hands on the cross. And so when it comes to witnessing to Christ, do we truly believe that we're walking with the most beautiful, purest, powerful light into a dark world that needs us light? Do we appreciate the power of Christ's cleanness? Can we talk about how Christ has worked in our own lives like we might boast about a new diet or a new exercise or a new podcast for helping us? If we can't, I want to gently and humbly suggest that something is off with our witness, with our understanding of what Jesus has really done for us. Or perhaps we need to check our attitude towards those we're witnessing towards. Who do you in your life perhaps think of as, quote-unquote, unclean? Sadly, even in church history, you see the church at times treating people and rejecting people because we can't handle maybe how different they are from us, but that's not the way of Jesus. Now, I get it. For some of us, we have to be wise. We're still in a place in our faith, in our growth spiritually, in our discipleship, where perhaps we're not strong enough yet to be in an environment full of temptations or morals that are very different from yours. That's challenging. I get that. So there's, there's wisdom involved. But what of Jesus coming into this world? The holy, perfect God, whose righteousness is more blazing and consuming than a million suns, he steps into the world that's grotesquely blasphemous of his own name a billion times over, and yet Jesus comes. And in that picture of Jesus stretching out his hand and touching the leper, it's in that scene is wrapped up the whole heart of God. This is why Luke, he witnessed and, or sorry, he, he records and he testifies to the truth of, but now even more, the report about Jesus went abroad. And great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their affirmities. And so the report of Jesus kept spreading. It just kept overflowing. And so can you say, can you say, I hope you can say, I hope you can remember how he's worked in you that you could say, he's healed me. 
He's loved me. He's cleansed me. He's forgiven me. He's graced me. He's helped me. He's stretched out his hand to me as he hung on that cross. He's cleansed my spiritual leprosy. He's made me more whole. He's made me glad. He's made me belong. He's blessed me. He's saved me. He guides me. He's fathered me. He's comforted me. He steadies me. He calms me. He grows me. He calls me his own. Why don't we tell others about Jesus and what he means to us? I hope that we could reverse that as we remember all that he's done for us. I hope that we can rethink what makes a person beginning with ourselves clean and that we find all our joy in this Jesus who's touched us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your patient love. As your sons and daughters, we so easily wander wander off. You are the Father. You are Jesus, the Savior, our older brother. And your Holy Spirit, keep pursuing us. And so, Lord, help us to rejoice in our union with you that you stretch out your hand and touch us, that you not only make us and and keep growing us towards greater wholeness, but you make us holy. And thank you that this is all accomplished by your son, Jesus. And we receive all these wonderful benefits as we just are attached to him by faith. So help us to keep growing in this. Help us every day to bathe our hearts in your cleansing grace. In Jesus' name, amen.